0: When we talk about adopting and uh, evolving fast enough, it's the organization having that kind of organizational grit to keep going, to keep learning, and to keep continuously setting up the infrastructure, if you like, to be able to learn and continuously evolve.
1: From Toro Cloud, this is the Coding Over Cocktails podcast, a free pour of thoughts ideas, and advice from IT experts, innovators, and thought leaders, exploring the world of digital transformation, APIs, microservices, cloud adoption, and more. Welcome to episode 61 of the Coding Over Cocktails podcast. My name is Kevin Montalbo, and joining us from Sydney, Australia is Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Good day, David. Good day, Kevin. All right, our guest for today is a consultant- coach, product, and experience designer. She has 20 years experience building new capabilities in organizations, seeking to respond faster to the shifting needs of customers in the areas of design thinking, big data and analytics, portfolio management, and agile delivery. Her journey includes working with clients from Australia, North America, Canada, South Africa, and Brazil. Today, we're going to talk to her about her first book, EDGE, Value-Driven Digital Transformation, where she will share her learnings, stories, and many challenges of building organizational responsiveness in today's environment, fueled by technological change. Joining us today for a round of cocktails is Linda Liu. Hi, Linda. Welcome to the show. Hi,
0: David. Thanks for having me.
1: And hi, David. Hi,
2: Linda. Welcome. Good to have another Australian on the program, although living in San Francisco. When did you make the move to San Fran?
0: Oh, about four years ago, Uh, but I've been away from Australia for about a decade. Yes. Uh, Quite some time. (laughs) I read that
2: in your portfolio. In fact, you were with ThoughtWorks for a while, but you've recently more, uh, more recently moved to IBM as associate partner of enterprise strategy. Tell us a little bit about your role there.
0: Yeah, thanks, David. So I I left ThoughtWorks and I've been with IBM for about a year and kind of a bit of a parallel to the work I was doing at ThoughtWorks and kind of how this book came about is solving very similar challenges at IBM and our clients, but at a much larger scale. (laughs) So I kind of dive straight into, you know, a hundred year old company, uh, which is still going through. Uh, the process of reinvention and uh, working very closely with our clients in the consulting place, evolving things like their operating model, um, rethinking budgeting and funding models and um, establishing uh, what we call a value realisation office, so um, replacing your traditional PMO. So those are some of the kind of work that I do now um, as I've made the leap to IBM and are um, still very much focused on clients and generating um, helping our clients of through this digital transformation
2: journey. And it sounds like a lot of those things you're doing at IBM also related to what you do and talk about in your book. So maybe we can jump into that. We've, we've previously talked about edge computing on this podcast. And so, yeah, we talk about computing on the edge of the internet, on the edge of the cloud and close proximity to end users. But you're talking about a different kind of edge in your book. It, uh, it's more about a chaos type principle. Can you... Can you tell us a little bit more about the concept as, in terms of EDGE as it relates to your book?
0: Yeah, sure. So it does sound pretty dark. I'll have to uh, credit Jim Highsmith for coming up with the name. But EDGE actually comes from complexity theory. And, you know, as we were working on the book and thinking about a name, we we were playing with kind of this space between too much structure and stability and status quo and then organisations having too much flexibility or Too much autonomy or too much of uh, chaos. And so we were playing with this uh, term called edge, which is kind of being at the edge of chaos, not quite over the edge, but in an area where organizations who want to compete in this digital age are really thriving. And I have to say, it's a bit of a play on words. Um, during the time when it took about five years to get uh, the book out the door. And during that time, we got a lot of questions about what's an alternative to scale agile framework. So kind of this idea that you want, we want to scale agile so Edge can kind of help with that. And it's a bit of play on words because while safe is great as a framework and um, as a mindset for a lot of organisations, we don't want to be safe. We want to kind of be at that edge of chaos. And so that's kind of how we, uh, how Edge was born.
2: It's interesting because chaos has a negative connotation, right? So if you're in a chaotic model, it sounds like it's unproductive and not organised, but you're actually saying you want to be on the edge of chaos.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know when we talk about digital transformation and some of the principles that we um, talk about in the book, what we're saying is that the status quo and the kind of the old way of doing things is just doesn't work anymore. And a lot of organisations, when we talk about agile, they've, they've they've got some success with standing up agile teams. You know, throw some cross functional people together. De- deliver incrementally um, and, and start to bring some of that mindset in the organization that you're actually going to be able to get more feedback and learn a lot quicker by reducing things like cycle time but actually what we found is that's not enough and a lot of our clients told us that you know they've been doing this agile thing they've stood up x number of product teams or agile teams uh, but they're still not getting the value out of their investment so what are we doing wrong so what we've put together in the edge book is actually essentially the different areas of the organization call it operating model that we believe uh, needs to change needs to make a fundamental shift to be able to get the most value out of investments and be able to compete um, in this digital economy
2: so let's talk about the operating model this is the operating model is, as i understand is a set of principles and practices to enable an organization to achieve organizational responsiveness as you call it tell us more about the model how can it drive digital initiatives forward?
0: Yeah, so so originally when we're thinking about operating model, the immediate thing to think about is like, how should people work together? Um, What we saw that we actually have three fundamental questions. So how should we work together? How should we invest? And how can we adapt fast enough? So underpinning that uh, five areas uh, that we believe in an organization needs to change. So the first one is making strategy visible and actionable. And actually tied to delivery so it's not this nebulous you know statement or set of PowerPoint slides that no one understands um, and then shifting the portfolio approach which uh, is actually a really big component of the book uh, moving from evaluating ROI to actually measuring uh, customer value and then being able to measure it incrementally and shifting the way you um, fund and budget for your portfolio um, the third one is around governance. <laughs> no one wants to talk about governance, but essentially shifting the governance from, um, you know, this heavyweight process that is very focused on activity to uh, make it more lightweight that um, and can, can help facilitate faster decisions.
2: I was going to say it's interesting. Like did you, did this whole uh, concept, edge computing, did it come through your observation that agile wasn't working, that you are getting feedback from organisations and then you, you thought, look, we're going to have to come up with something to solve this and develop a set of principles to guide people about a new way of thinking. What, what was the process that got you to this point?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the one number one question we get from clients is, you know, how do we scale these these agile teams so, they've um, spent, they've uh, proven successfully, say, 20 agile teams, and they want to now scale that to, say, 300. And it's not a matter of copy and paste. Uh, and that's where we really came into um, looking at those areas of change in an organization that what we call in the operating model, that there's friction. Um, because the old way of doing things, take your annual budgeting process as an example, um, you know, having, a process that decides how much money you want to spend and what value you expect and having that done uh, on a yearly basis pretty much assumes that you're waiting a whole year before you can actually understand if you actually re- receive the value from that investment and that's too long. Um, we, you know, what we found is even if you have the perfect plan, even if you have the perfect solution, the perfect product, and you've really understood your customers, if it takes you that long to deliver um, and that long to take, get feedback, uh, the environment has changed. You're the solution, someone's already done it. Um, and the value that you could derive from that investment actually starts to degrade. So how do you help um we think about an organisation, how the pieces work together to be more agile. And by agile, we don't mean agile teams. We really mean the grassroots, like change the thinking model to one of incremental delivery experimentation and really um, helping leaders through that kind of shift.
2: Because there's always been this concept in in agile that you're, uh, you're doing less waterfall approach to development with pre-planning and you're res- more responsive to customer needs and listening to them and iterating through change and delivering to customer. But as I understand it, your concept is uh, creating a metric for customer value, something you call a fitness function um, mm-hmm. to, to achieve your goals. What's What is the fitness function? How does that work?
0: yeah we use um, again fitness, fitness function as the term comes from complexity theory, and I would describe it as kind of the highest level measure in an organisation, what the organisation is focusing on to um, and how to measure how close the solution is towards a goal. And in traditional organisations, the pre-digital era, uh, the focus, the primary measure was cost and efficiency. You know, looking at technology or the IT department and seeing how, how fast and how cheap can you can do a piece of work to support, say, a product release. And that's no longer um, helping organizations really compete. Uh, we know that essentially it's too slow and it, um, we, the operating model talks about essentially helping organizations think about customer value and so the fitness function, that primary measure, shifts for technology to be around speed and adaptability. Um, and through that um, process helps. It's going to thrive innovation rather than starving innovation, helping innovation thrive.
2: Through, through what processes? Like it, it's how, how can you make innovation thrive? It's, it's a, It sounds great in principle, but what are, what are some of the specifics of those processes?
0: Yeah, so we're, we're now... Um, in our book, we talk about uh, I mentioned portfolio as a kind of a, a core concept or function that changes in an organization. We talk about innovation. Um, take for example, uh, in a traditional way, a strategy is about creating, you know, the perfect plan and understanding your market and understanding where your customers, where you want to compete, with your customers. That gets put away, and a solution comes about. But that solution is only probably one idea of potentially so many ideas that could come about um, and be valuable. But how do you test those ideas? It's kind of this idea of like a thousand flowers blooming. You could just, you know, try a whole bunch of stuff and hope that it works. But what we're, we talk about is um, how do you bring just enough structure and um, to help leaders steer through that kind of ambiguity of what could I invest in? And what could I, how could I innovate quickly um, and get the feedback quickly in the market to be able to essentially decide um, whether or not something is worth investing in or actually stop work that's actually no longer valuable because there's something that's actually more important, more, more, um, more uh, exciting for customers and we're actually seeing customer uptake in a different area.
2: Are there any case studies you can... Uh- Share with us you don't need to mention company names necessarily if it's confidential, but just in terms of principles of how people have been able to utilize this concept of uh, the edge of chaos
0: yeah so i I would say that when we um, a lot of clients ask for kind of examples and we always kind of point to the digital natives you know they've come from um, an environment where they they're not um, starved by legacy um, technology. And and they you know they've got a fresh start and you know technology is core to their business. Um, and what we what we've been working on is working with organisations that have actually been disrupted. So that's telcos, that's automotive, that's um, insurance and banking and airline. Uh, those are all the examples that we have actually um, embedded in the book without names of where we've actually kind of brought this. Idea of a new operating model, next generation operating model, to life.
2: How how important is technology platforms to all of this? You mentioned some are hampered by legacy technology, so digital native companies have been not so hamstrung by that. So how how much what are, what kind of role does technology play in all all of this?
0: Quite controversial, but um, there's a chapter in our book called Tech, "Technology at Core," and that really is about. Uh, shifting the mindset of leaders and I don't mean technology just technology leaders all leaders in the organization to thinking about technology not as a supporting function but actually core to the business like technology is the business so that means that you know if you're an insurance company you're not an insurance company you're a digital company that operates um, and sells insurance products and technology uh, and digital experience is core to your business so Um, technology is no longer an afterthought. And so when we talk about digital platforms um, and technology strategies is about helping leaders through changing the mindset that technology is that thing that the other silo in the organisation has to deal with. Um, And it is part of the strategy. So when it comes to things like annual planning and um, rethinking about products and services that the organisation wants to compete in, the technology the digital experience is part of that kind of journey and part of core to that thinking
2: I'm glad you mentioned that because often on this podcast we've talked uh, to guests about the role technology plays and the role that people play and often I think it's a greater emphasis placed on the role that organizational change is required and the role people play and so technology the technology stack kind of is pushed back a little bit in terms of its importance and said, look, the technology is there and you can always get it if you want it sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, but, but really, you know, one of the cha- main... Cha- and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to discount the challenge associated with organisational change. It's enormous in terms of cultural change. Mm-hmm. But it's, I, I like the fact you've got a chapter, technology at core, and really you should be thinking about making yourself uh, a technology-focused company regardless of what industry you operate in, if you want to move into the digital age, that's what we're talking about, right? Organisational cultural change is going to need happen to facilitate that, but technology is still going to be at the core. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. And I, you know, in our book, when we talk about technology strategy, we talk about things like um, really understanding seismic shifts and um, understanding and proactively looking at what's happening in the market that... Um, could actually disrupt or change the way our customers interacted with us. Say, take AR, VR as an example, you know, moving from the kind of what is, how is this new interaction going to fundamentally change the way we interact with our business? And can we actually think about that in when we actually, we're thinking through our strategy of what are we actually going to offer to our customers and is that going to be at the forefront? And a lot of our clients, um, particularly on the business side, When they engage consultants they ask the question you know what what can technology help me understand this technology thing help me understand what emerging trends are happening um and um how to rethink about how to generate customer value for my business and tech at core is about increasing the capability in the organization so that everyone in the organization really thinks about in this way. It's not an outsourced function or it's not left to technology, um, the IT department to come up with, you know, um, the best report or the best diagram that shows us how our architecture and technology is going to evolve over time, but it's actually fundamental to thinking about uh, mapping out your strategy.
2: What about the concept of uh, the citizen developer and driving technology down to end users to empower them to embrace technology to facilitate change. How realistic do you think that is, and how important is is that, or is it is the technology side of things still r- largely an IT function, you know, with IT professionals driving it?
0: Oh, I mean, when I think about my clients and the best clients that are actually really embrace digital in their organisation. Um, it's not just the developer or it's not just the you know the a ux person rethinking about evolving interactions it's actually everyone in the organization um, you know in tune with what's happening in the market and, and this kind of emerging technology and and um, I think that's very really influential going back to your question it's um, you know the best ideas and the best kind of innovation starts to happen when you have that developer who's you know, read about through a blog or gone to a conference about some emerging technology that's done some really cool things. And it might not be something that you invest in. Um, It's not your Horizon 1. It's not something that's going to fundamentally change your business today, but they're thinking about it. And and you start to see things like um, during um, showcases and software showcases, um, someone's gone and experimented a little bit with it and said, hey, I've tried this thing. It's really cool, and what? How could we actually harness that? Um, and that's kind of very grassroots really thinking about um, kind of experimenting and kind of this uh, culture of people being very excited and empowered to be able to try. Different technologies, and they don't. They're not, it's not being told. It's not being handed to them that you know you have to deliver this project in this time frame to this budget. Go and do that. Don't worry about this other thing that's you kind know, of shiny and new on the side. Um, obviously, within within guardrails, what we call that, um, you know, to be able to help foster that kind of creativity and innovation within um, within the teams. But then and then elevating that. So it's not just you know the developer that's talking about some cool trend in technology that they're experimenting with it's the leader saying you know I actually understand where you're getting to that is really that's a really interesting uh, piece of work that you're doing let's let's leverage that let's rethink about how we might be able to build that into our ongoing um, plan and and um, technology strategy and and uh, keep an eye on what that could possibly do for our business.
2: One of the things I find really interesting about your concept and driving this innovation uh, through empowering individuals and focusing on customer value and experimenting with ideas and seeing which one works and all sorts of stuff, but then you keep drawing it back to budget, right? You keep saying, okay, but we need to allocate resources to one of these ideas. So it's great to have this chaotic type concept where there's all these ideas being spun up in terms of creating customer value, Which ones do we now invest in? And I think you've come up with something called the Lean Value Tree to make make that kind of decision model. Uh, Can you tell us and run us through that concept?
0: Yeah. So the Lean Value Tree is a very deceptively simple tool that we included in the book as a way to kind of help be more tangible about when we when we talk about portfolio and sh- and and make and breaking down portfolio in an agile way, what does that actually mean? So really simply, Lean Valley Tree, um, the name is adopted from the fact that it's lean because um, we take the strategy and we make it into very break it down into very small stoppable chunks, kind of in the way that agile teams break down their backlog. Um, it's value because We no longer talk about solutions. You know, we're not going to build an app or you know create this e-commerce thing. What we want to do is actually talk about outcomes and customer outcomes uh, rather than solutions. And then um, it's a tree because everything that we want to invest in, everything that we want to do, including the work that isn't being funded, um, is tied all the way through to delivery teams. So this is where we say. um, the operating model ties together the strategy and execution. The Lean Valley tree helps to do that. And um, I would say the biggest um, thing that's really made an impact with the Lean Valley tree is this idea of bets. So the tree you know, it has levels, so we have goals, bets, um, and initiatives. And it, in most organisations stop at three levels, but it can go further. And this bet mindset is essentially that you can't predict the future and things will change. Um, so, what is your hypothesis of value? What are you willing to invest in to help you achieve that goal? And um, and making it visible uh, on a page or in a in a single place in a single place in organization that could be referenced. And that's really really where prioritization starts to kind of um, evolve. Uh, prioritization sounds so easy, you know. We say, okay, well, let's build a green value tree and let's do it. It's actually one of the hardest things. is, often we start with prioritisation being, you know, who screams the loudest in an organisation or the highest paid person in the organisation gets to decide. And what we're actually doing is putting some more um, discipline, uh, using the Lean Valley tree to actually map out what it is we're trying to achieve and therefore what are you willing to invest in to make that happen? And then shifting um, the focus towards uh, experimenting and getting the data to support that throughout the year. So that means that if uh, a piece of work can not be justified throughout the year, it will be killed, you know, in the same way as, um, and and work will get stopped. Um, Low value work can get stopped incrementally throughout the year rather than, you know, waiting till till the budget's been spent to evaluate whether or not something's actually proving valuable. Um, so that kind of helps really run the back on the prioritization front is um, helping executives really kind to of get back to the discipline of saying well if you want to achieve X, what is it you're willing to invest in how are you going to break it down and um, and and communicate that to teams that this is where you're actually putting your money behind.
2: So if you're investing in some concepts uh, so they can develop a proof of concept develop and, and establish the, the sort of value they're going to contribute so that they can continue to get further budget to can develop that concept, you're going to have to require some sort of governance model. And you talk about governance and you talk about a lightweight governance. Um, so uh, you've emphasizing the concept of a lightweight governance to ensure that... Uh, there's not too much bureaucracy that's going to hinder innovation. Um, how how do you, how does governance work in in this model?
0: Yeah, so there's a kind of a, a few shifts that we need to make to enable lightweight governance, opposed to heavyweight governance, and that is that once you've broken down um, the work into a lean value tree, um, it's changing the decision rights to be able to. Um, steer the portfolio throughout the year. By that we mean um, in traditional ways, there's usually like a central governing body that makes decisions around what gets um, funded and then what continues on. But actually the lean value tree and lightweight governance breaks that down further. So what we call bet owners actually have the autonomy um, and um, the accountability to make decisions throughout the year about what it is that they, uh, they believe is actually going to return uh, the, the most value out of the portfolio of investments and it's going to hit their goals. So typically that means there's a change to leadership, um, accountability and KPIs to align back to the lean value tree um, and the bets that they're accountable for. And so we have goal owners and bet owners and, you um, they can actually have the autonomy to stop a piece of work if they feel like it's not returning value and there's data to support that. And um, and they have to justify whether or not it's actually worth uh, continuing to invest in throughout the year. So going to um, request more funding if something is actually proving more valuable. And that's the fundamental shift uh, for a lot of organisations. We start with asking, um, you know, what happens if you don't achieve the benefits and usually it's the response is oh well we haven't measured it we don't have the data yet and no one's looking and you know most people don't organizations just kind of don't want to go back to it because they know that there was very little value delivered and it was too hard um, and the money's being spent (laughs) and so uh, governance really is about bringing back some of that discipline Um, for one client recent client they told me that um, you know, we stop work all the time. You know, we declare work is um, no longer valuable. We stop it, but then the teams still work on it. So, and so it's really, you know, when we talk about discipline, it really is about bringing back some of that discipline to say we, if something isn't valuable and we all know it and you talk to the people on the team saying, why would we build this? this is just no, there's no customer value in this. Customers don't even want it. actually stop the work um it can't be someone's pet project it can't be you know someone in the executive team who really believes that um this is valuable if that was the case um then they had to justify it and they're they're accountable for the the delivery of that value
2: to wrap up i'd like to talk about uh sustainability and and how organizations can adapt fast enough so um Given you, that you mentioned that even digital savvy industries only have a 26% success rate, I've got that uh, figure off your own excerpt from the book, how can companies adapt fast enough when they're having such a large value rate? Mm,
0: yeah, that's a good question. I think when I look at um, this kind of digital transformation era, this idea that organisations will be always transforming. You know, there's no static state and there's no end state to the transformation. Um, when we talk about adopting and uh, evolving fast enough, it's the organisation having that kind of organisational grit to keep going, to keep learning and to keep continuously setting up uh, the infrastructure, if you like, to be able to um, learn and continuously evolve. And... That's if the organization is always in this kind of state of change and state of flux. like how how do you kind of wrap your arms around? Are we are we actually doing this fast enough? And are we actually getting the value that we expected from customers? I think um, one of the things that we and I've been doing this a lot more at IBM. We've, we've kind of come to the conclusion that uh, to really help organizations evolve and we can adapt, uh, move culturally towards a a different way of working, Um, they need to really think about the value streams in an organisation and the approach to change. And um, one thing that we talk about in the book is kind of this lean change model. So you're always going to be changing and you've got to have the data to be able to prove to the organisation that something like a uh, more dynamic funding model is actually going to help reduce the friction in your operating model and... Um, to actually help you deliver value faster to customers. So let's prove that out. And taking it a step further is actually using, uh, rethinking about the value streams in your organisation and all the pieces that are needed to deliver that value and transforming that way. So are we actually adopt or adapting fast enough? Um, I think the way to measure that is are you actually getting the value are your customers actually getting value from you and are you able to measure that incrementally um, and then and then uh, evolve the organisation, continuously evolve the organisation in that way? So that means we talked about funding, we're talking about leadership changes, um, governance changes. doesn't I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to deal with. So taking a slice of the organisation and continuously evolving it in that way, um, we found uh, helps move a lot faster in the transformation efforts and towards value. Um, the the opposite of that I guess is to kind of try to move functionally, like let's blow up our governance, then let's blow up our budgeting and our funding cycles and let's add more agile teams. And I think that's definitely I think I've um got data now to prove that's too slow in a lot of organization um and that and uh they get very little value from transformation efforts. And then that that's kind of been seen as uh, kind
2: of a failure yeah and i wonder if also like in, in the software industry we talk about uh, failing fast in terms of to innovate you need to be prepared to fail fast so i wonder if there's a similar concept here if 75 percent, roughly uh, of projects are failing then you really want to make a decision on those projects which are not contributing customer value quickly so you can fail fast learn from it move on so you find that 26%, which are going to be your winners. Is that is that is, is that a, a key ingredient here is when you're uh, budgeting and approving funding for concepts, you talked before about uh, canning projects uh, early if they're not contributing customer value. Is that a key ingredient here in order to be able to move forward to find those success stories is to... Um, can and fail fast on those ones which aren't working.
0: Yeah, I think that's that, that's you hit the nail on the head, and um, why I think the Lean Value Tree particularly has been so popular is that it brings that visibility and that um, that that, um, that that you have to make trade off decisions. You can't invest in everything, and that um, if you only had say, 100 chips to base on uh, to help you achieve your goal? Are you going to continue to um, put those 100 chips towards something that actually isn't actually going to help you achieve your goals? Like you already know that, uh, you know, within the first quarter, why would you keep going? Um, and to start to look for alternate um, sources of value and, and start to kind of experiment out whether or not, you know, something else could actually be more valuable uh, in, uh, in the market, and essentially, um, we talk about killing projects and killing ideas earlier. Um, and that is definitely one part. But actually, what we find is just getting into the mindset of what is actually more valuable. Never mind the stuff that you have to kill. That that, that stuff is usually. Fairly obvious when you lay out all the initiatives and the lean value trees, like why are we working on this thing that's not even important? But how do you, um, if if you have five bets, which one are you actually going to get investment in? Do you put your money in all five? Or uh, do you believe that one is actually going to the superstar and start investing in that and prove out and run your experiments to see if that's actually more, it's actually going to give you the return uh, that you expect?
2: Mm. Linda, some really interesting concepts in Edge, the value-driven digital transformation. Where can our uh, listeners uh, learn more about your book and what you're writing about and follow you?
0: Uh-huh. So uh, I think LinkedIn is probably the right, the the best place to find me right now. I'm currently still on maternity leave, so a little bit slow to respond. But um, yeah, LinkedIn would definitely be um, yeah you know, the place to ask any questions. I get a lot of questions around, particularly the implementation of the Lean Valley Tree, because um, you know it's just, it's very deceptively uh, simple <laughs> and very hard to implement because it requires so much um, mindset shifts. Uh, so. Yeah. Hit me up on LinkedIn.
2: <laughs> and your handle is Linda K. Lou. Yep. Great. Thanks, Linda. Very, very, very interesting talking to you today.
0: Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, listeners, thank you for joining us in this round of cocktails. Please like and subscribe to check out other episodes of this podcast series. We're also available on your favorite podcast platforms. Or you can simply listen in at torocloud.com where you'll find full episode transcripts and show notes. On behalf of the team here at Toro Cloud, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers!